concerns that some lawmakers want to shift aid for Ukraine over to Israel. Both Ukraine and Israel are important. Both need American military assistance, and it's important to our national security interests, let alone theirs, but ours too, that they get that assistance. Plus, Ukraine's president meets with NATO defense ministers hoping to shore up cracks in what has been an overwhelming support for its efforts to battle Russian aggression. President Zelensky informed the allies about the urgent needs of the Ukrainian army. This is a very important stage. He also said that Ukrainian army needs time and the progress would be seen. And later in the program, could North Korea be assisting Russia with restocking its depleted ammunition supply? Today is Wednesday, October 11th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Lori London in Washington. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky brought his appeal for military aid in the form of air defense, artillery, and ammunition to NATO headquarters in Brussels, where he attended talks Wednesday with NATO defense ministers. For details, I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. So, Anna, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky still on the move, still doing his best to, to drum up support where there seemed to be some growing concerns about cracks in what has been staunch international backing for Kyiv and its war against Russia's invasion, worries that Ukrainian forces, you know, haven't made measurable progress in the counteroffensive, now winter closing in. He made a surprise visit to Belgium, Brussels, Wednesday. What can you tell us about what you're hearing about that? Well, yes, exactly. He's in Brussels with uh, an announced visit. This is the first time he's participating in the Rammstein meeting offline. Previously, he was uh, participating only online. Also, uh, he will be at the meeting of the defense ministers of NATO uh, countries and also Ukraine NATO Council. And he already met with the prime minister of Belgium. He already met with the head of uh, Pentagon, Lloyd Austin. And at the meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, Mr. Austin assured him that the United States will will continue to supply Ukraine with weapons. And uh, also we've heard the announcement about the new package of military aid to Kyiv. President uh, Zelensky's office uh, reported that President Zelensky thanked the U.S. for the new military aid package and also President Zelensky informed the allies about the urgent needs of the Ukrainian army. As you mentioned, uh, winter is coming and of course this is a very important stage uh, in this war between Ukraine and Russia. President Zelensky also said that Ukrainian army needs time and the progress would be seen, but it's not a quick progress, which is understandable due to all of the difficulties at the front line. Also, uh, President Zelensky reported about the a very, as he said, meaningful meetings during his visit to Brussels, particularly Secretary General NATO, Mr. Stoltenberg, assured uh, again that Ukraine will become a NATO member. And he also mentioned that all members of NATO agreed on that. At least this is what was said today. And finally, during the meeting with Prime Minister of Belgium, President Zelensky said that it was uh, quite uh, a successful, quite successful decisions made that 
that the leaders discuss how the frozen assets of Russia can be used to compensate the damage of war in Ukraine and Russian aggression in Ukraine and how to do it right now, not to wait. He said, I will quote him, that Belgium has become the first country to initiate the practice of using frozen Russian assets to support defense against Russian terror. This was the quote from President Zelensky. And uh, also he specified that these funds will be directed to security assistance uh, to to Ukraine, rapid reconstruction projects uh, in the regions of Ukraine. And I understand that when President Zelensky uh, was speaking, entering NATO headquarters, he had a comment noted noting the Israel war. President Zelensky mentioned the current uh, situation in Israel and current uh, war in Israel. He said that this is not quite the same what's happening in Ukraine and in Israel. However, it's similar. He called Russia a terrorist as well as Hamas representatives a terrorist. And basically, he compared Putin with Hamas. At this point, we know already that at least three Ukrainians were killed in Israel and some more are considered uh, missing. So definitely, Ukraine is keeping a very close eye on what's happening in Israel. And definitely, President Zelensky also mentioned that Ukraine understands exactly what Israel is going through. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. We thank you as always. Thank you. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is also in Brussels meeting with a group of allies in support of Ukraine, announced an additional $200 million in aid, as we heard, for Ukraine's defense against Russia. My colleague Steve Karish spoke with VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb, who is traveling with the defense secretary. They are planning to show Ukraine that the United States and all of Ukraine's Western allies are still very much committed to supporting Ukraine for as long as this takes. And this is, this is going to be hard to do because as... Secretary Austin is heading to Brussels, there is still not any additional funding that has been passed through Congress because Congress is still waiting to get a Speaker of the House so that they can continue to pass bills. I think that the Pentagon is hedging on the fact that there is still about $5 billion left that the United States has authorized to give Ukraine, and they are going to be providing some more of that funding At the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, Secretary Austin was speaking to reporters and he confirmed that there would be another U.S. aid package that was announced. I had been speaking earlier today to multiple U.S. officials that confirmed to VOA that the U.S. is going to be providing up to $200 million in additional military aid for Ukraine in a package that's going to include much of the same that we've been seeing over the last several weeks. It's going to have uh, more AIM-9 missiles. It's going to have more HIMARS munitions. We're not talking about those attackums, those super long range munitions. We're talking more of the, the Gimler um, medium range munitions, but there's still going to be more of those that they need. We're talking about anti-tank missiles, 155 millimeter rounds, 105 millimeter rounds, uh, counter drone equipment, electronic warfare equipment, demolition equipment, because there's a lot of Russian obstacles in place and minefields that they need to get through. Uh, they've made some gains over the past weeks, but there's still a lot more to go. And so a lot of this package is going to be much of the same because that's what Ukraine needs, especially in these last few weeks before winter sets in. And I think any discussion about 
defense, about foreign aid, about the Pentagon in general, uh, we have to be discussing Israel as well. How does the how do the recent events there figure into the Pentagon's calculations with Ukraine and just sort of what the Pentagon is doing in general? Well, so the situation in, U- in, in Israel and the situation in Ukraine are not linked, but it's important to note that for this past year, and Israel has been the number two recipient of U.S. military aid. They have between three and four billion dollars of military aid going to them, and Ukraine had about forty-four billion to date since the since the start of the war, since Russia invaded last year. So, I mean, clearly Ukraine has a lot more because they were in a war of aggression against Russia. But Israel has had a drumbeat of attacks over the the past several years that the U.S. has supported. What is important for U.S. officials in this instance is they want the world to know that this is not just your normal Palestinian attack on Israel. Officials are saying that this is Islamic State-level savagery. They say that some of these Hamas militants have been murdering kids in front of their parents. Hundreds of Israelis have been killed. They launched thousands of missiles into Israel. So it requires a very strong response. And so officials have said that planes have already taken off from the U.S., surging weapons to to get to Israel. And the weapons that they say that they need right now are air defense weapons, just like Ukraine needs. The difference is Israel has the Iron Dome, and so the interceptors for the Iron Dome will be surged to Israel. Right now, the Ukrainians are using Patriot defense batteries, so they have Patriot missiles that are going to them. But, you know, should the United States need to move a Patriot over to help support Israel, there could be a, you know, conflicting interest there when they would both need those munitions for the Patriots. And it should also be noted that Raytheon is the the U.S. company that provides interceptors for both the Iron Dome and the Patriots. So their capacity will also come into question in the coming days. That was VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb speaking with my colleague Steve Karish. Well, the race to elect a new Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives is underway. As VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson reports, the unpredictable race delays an already imperiled U.S. aid package to Ukraine. Even before Speaker Kevin McCarthy was removed from office, last week, the White House's $24 billion aid request had stalled in the Republican-majority U.S. House of Representatives at a key point in the war. George Washington University professor Colin Cleary. Ukraine is in the middle of an offensive to try and reclaim uh, stolen territory, and that is intensive of use of uh, military articles. And so the inability to resupply will obviously result in that uh, offensive grinding to a slow ebb or even a halt. Opposition to Ukraine aid grew among House Republicans over the summer, and it will be difficult for any candidate to become Speaker without winning over those critics. Republican Jim Jordan, a candidate for Speaker, has said aid to Ukraine is not a priority. The most pressing issue on Americans' minds is not Ukraine. It is the border situation and it's crime on the streets, and everybody knows that. An October 2023 poll by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs found that 60% of Americans still support the U.S. sending aid to Ukraine. American voter Cindy Fallman. 
it's expensive and our country has its own share of problems right now and a lot of people would like to see money go in different directions but um, but I just feel like you know as, as the United States has really helped so many people uh, in so many countries in the, their time of need and and this is a critical one. The White House reportedly is exploring the possibility of linking aid to Ukraine with aid for the war in Israel. McCarthy, who is still supported by many lawmakers to become speaker again, said Israel should come first. You're thinking some type of game to play? I think right now Israel was just attacked. I would put Israel's supplemental on the table, on the floor right now. Speaker candidate Steve Scalise, who has been supportive of aid to Ukraine in the past, said lawmakers should move swiftly to elect a new leader. We've got to get back on track. This is a dangerous world right now. Republicans will hold their vote for the speaker post on Wednesday until the full U.S. House of Representatives elects a speaker. No legislation can be passed. Catherine Gibson, VOA News. Capitol Hill. And Catherine also looked at public opinion on U.S. aid to Ukraine. She caught up with several visitors to Washington to find out how they feel about continued support. What are your views on aid to Ukraine? We've sent billions of dollars there already. Would you like to see more sent over? Uh, yes, I, I would. I would. I think humanitarian, uh, for, for humanitarian reasons, I just, uh, it's it's very sad what's going on to families and uh, people there, and I think we need to help them. Why do you think that there's so much growing concern over the amount of aid that we've sent there? I'd well, <laughs> it's expensive, and our country has its own share of problems right now, and a lot of people would like to see money go in different directions. But um, but I just feel like, you know, as, as the United States has really helped so many people uh, in so many countries in the, their time of need, and, and this is a critical one. We're trying yes. to elect a new Speaker of the House. Crane is one of the big issues. A lot of Republicans say that we shouldn't be spending any more money to them, that oversight of the aid is an important topic, that we need a clearer strategy for winning in Ukraine. Where do you fall on that issue? I'm all for funding the Ukrainian war as much as they need. Well, because of Russia and China, we certainly don't want them taking over that area of the world. USA to Ukraine, there's a supplemental request from the White House, new round of billions of dollars in aid that's coming under a lot of criticism from the Republican majority U.S. House representatives, concerns that we've sent too much money to Ukraine, that there's not a clear strategy for winning there. What would you like to see lawmakers do? I'd like to see them approve the aid to Ukraine because I think in a way it, it helps protect protect the United States citizenship because uh, any aggression by Putin and his forces is just going to keep coming. If, it, if we don't stop him there, he's going to move into Romania. If we don't stop him there, he's going to move into Poland. So, I mean, this is kind of a uh, strong point that needs to be made as far as an international leadership to other countries in Europe to say, hey, we're, we're behind this 100%. A lot of controversy about sending more aid over to Ukraine. Where do you fall on that issue? I'm glad to see us supporting a country that I think has been unfairly attacked by the Russians. I'm very glad to see the ethics and the integrity in that, caring for someone that needs assistance. Meanwhile, White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby told VOA the Biden administration will do everything it can to continue working with Congress to secure the aid. It is important that Ukraine continue to get the aid that it needs. They're, they are involved in still a counteroffensive in 
facing Russian aggression on their own soil. And we don't want to see a single lapse. And as for some lawmakers wanting to shift U.S. military aid to Israel, which is now at war after the murderous weekend attacks by Hamas. Both countries need U.S. military assistance in terms of weapons and capabilities. Both are under assault. Both have every right to, uh, to defend themselves and their citizens. And in that defense, our national security interests are actually benefited. We're going to continue to have those conversations with Congress. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Recent satellite photos show a sharp increase in rail traffic along the North Korea-Russia border, which, according to a U.S. think tank, could indicate the North is supplying depleted munitions to Russia. The assessment came from a website run by the Center for Strategic and International Studies. VOA's Kim Lewis spoke with Alexis Dudden, professor of history at the University of Connecticut, to gain some insight into this report. They're really pretty stark. It appears that there are 73 freight cars which cross the border from North Korea into Russia, very small land border there on October 5th. They're covered. So CSIS, the organization, rightly states that they cannot be sure what's under the covers. And yet, you know, all probability suggests that they are the ammunitions that were widely suggested at the September 13th summit between Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. I think important to understand is that uh, throughout its history, the development of munitions in North Korea has been on Soviet-era standards because that was those were the models used to develop the munitions. And so, above all, Russia needs you know ammunition and supplies that fit its already existing equipment. So, if in fact those seventy-three cars are carrying Russia's needed weaponry, then that would be logical. Other than that, nobody really knows. U.S. and South Korean officials have warned that North Korea and Russia would face consequences if they went ahead with the reported weapons transfer deal in violation with the U.N. Security Council resolution that bans all weapons trade involving North Korea. So has there been any reaction yet? Well, I think Pyongyang and maybe less so Moscow, they have very different uh, world outlooks, but Pyongyang is all about regime survival and uh, the entirety of state sovereignty is embodied in the Kim family. And at this juncture, the United States, our sole policy would appear you can't do that. No, I don't mean for that to sound as critical as it is, but there's nothing other than sort of repeated, well, you can't do that. And that's not a policy. So, we either engage, which is my preference, and really get at it, or we do something horrible, such as a preemptive action, which some suggest is the right course of action. However, that has cataclysmic consequences, and I don't think anybody wants that. So, we, the United States, have a no real outlook, and now everything is eclipsed by the Israel Hamas nightmare, and Washington remains focused on Ukraine. So, with absence of policy towards North Korea other than you can't do that, I don't think Pyongyang is going to care at all, and Moscow will simply benefit from Washington's distractions. And also, South Korean officials said North Korean weapons provided to Russia had already been used in Ukraine. Has this been proven? Has 
North Korea already been supplying arms to Russia? That's difficult for anyone really to know. South Korea has just appointed a new defense minister, Shin Won-shik, who is very hardline. And in recent days, he is calling for South Korea to take definitive kinetic measures against North Korea. So whether this, that is all talk remains to be seen. In terms of North Korea's already having supplied the Russian military, I think about a year ago, forgive me, I'm not quite sure, there were some satellite images of ships going through the Sea of Okhotsk, going the sort of long way around to resupply Russian troops in Ukraine at Crimea. Whether or not those weapons came from North Korea, I think, is something that remains to be seen. Certainly, if there is new ship traffic through what is international waters north of Japan and around, we'll find out. And in this way, it sort of parallels. We know that last week the United States resupplied Ukraine with uh, seized weapons that were made in Iran en route to Russia. And it's kind of who's giving bullets to which side and where do they come from, I think is, you know, for after the conflict taking apart for historians. At the moment, clearly both sides are upping the ante. Alexis Dudden, professor of history at the University of Connecticut, speaking with my colleague, Kim Lewis. Analysts say Azerbaijan's capture of the Nagorno-Karabakh enclave from ethnic Armenians is the latest success of an alliance between Turkey and Azerbaijan. But that alliance, observers say, is challenging Russia's grip on the Caucasus as Moscow is distracted by its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Dorian Jones looks at the situation from Istanbul. Azerbaijani forces capture the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh enclave from ethnic Armenians came after three decades of on-off conflict. Turkey's training of Azerbaijani forces using Turkish-made drones proved decisive, as did Moscow's failure to intervene in support of its Armenian ally. Zao Gazimov is a professor of history and a specialist on Russia at Bonn University. Russia became more vulnerable in its um, internal politics and in its, in its exterior strategies, uh, also in the Caucasus, in Central Asia, in, in the Middle East, and that creates new spaces and new uh, possibilities also for other regional powers in partly to regain their positions, partly to become new leverages of influence. Decades of simmering tensions between Armenia and Azerbaijan over Nagorno-Karabakh, experts say, allowed Moscow to exert influence over the region by playing both sides against each other. The defeat of the Armenian-backed forces is a significant loss for Moscow. Caucasus specialist Galia Lindenstrauss in Tel Aviv. It will influence, at least in the short term, its ability to act or to, to have a clout with these two states, with Azerbaijan and Armenia. But I believe that in the long run, uh, Russia does see this area as uh, strategic important, does see it as its backyard, will not allow too much independence on the side of Armenia and Azerbaijan. But any attempt by Moscow to reassert its dominance in the Caucasus 
will face competition as Ankara continues to deepen ties with Baku. Turkey is now militarily committed to defend Azerbaijan in the event of any attack. Mesut Jarshan is a presidential advisor at Istanbul's Yeditepe University. Turkey aimed to be establishing peace and stability in Caucasus. You look at here, Russia is here. They even waited just in a short time in the Georgia. And then we see the, what's happening in the Crimea and also in the Ukraine. With Turkey beset by economic woes, deepening ties with energy-rich Azerbaijan is a key goal. Turkey also wants to turn the Caucasus into an alternative energy export route for Central Asian countries and break Russia's tight grip on energy distribution. Observers say Ankara and Moscow have a long history of diffusing their disputes by using economic issues to find common ground. Onur Ishchi is a Russian affairs expert at Istanbul's Kardahas University. I study Russian-Turkish relations the past hundred years of Russian-Turkish relations and I see episodes of brief moments of conflict that have been so carefully managed. Turkey and Russia successfully for the past 100 years used economy to manage and cooperation to manage these geopolitical disputes, which they have many on the table. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and Russian leader Vladimir Putin have developed a close working relationship, much of which has involved managing conflicting rivalries. The situation in the Caucasus may prove to be their biggest challenge. Dorian Jones, VOA News, Istanbul. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world, 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Bozette, D.C.